Welcome back to Nurain, the Two Lights podcast. My name is Sumaya and this is Asil. Um, and today we are coming at you with another Quran, Quranic themed episode. Um, Asil and I both really enjoyed the other Quran episode that we did. And today we wanted to take a little bit of a different approach and bring in sort of a lot of different concepts while going through the tafsir of certain verses in Surat Al-Furqan. So Surat Al-Furqan, for anyone that may want to follow along or anything like that, is chapter number 25. And we are going to be sort of dissecting um, from verse number 63 to the end of the surah. Um, so these, uh, these verses, it's about a page and a half of the surah towards the, the last page and a half, um, talks about the characteristics of the ibadur rahman And I feel like I just need to break down that term really quickly first. So first and foremost, al-Rahman, that is Allah, right? And so that's one of the 99 names of Allah, and that means the most merciful, um, ibad is servants, right? So this is essentially the term ibadur rahman is the servants of the most merciful, the servants of Allah. And um, as Muslims, we do believe that we are Allah's servants, not in the way that a lot of people think. I feel like when people think of that term, they think of like slavery type servants, like that is not what's going on. But Allah created us and he sustains us and he provides for us and he's the most merciful to us among many, many other things. So it's only right that we are his slaves, essentially, in in that sense. Um, So yes, the last page and a half of Surah Al-Furqan kind of goes through the qualities of the Ibad al-Rahman, the servants of the most merciful. And it, it's, a, it's a very high honor to be able to say, you know, or to be able to be known as Ibad al-Rahman by Allah. It's something that I think we all should strive to be known as. Um, so we have to know what are the qualities in order to even be able to attain that, that sort of status. So Asil, if you want to start us off with verse number 63. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and read the translation, and then we can both take turns kind of um, giving our um, thoughts on it. So verse 63 says, The true servants of the most compassionate are those who walk on the earth humbly, and when the foolish address them improperly, they only respond with peace. So do you want to go into your thoughts I on talked them? so much. Go ahead. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. okay. So I think that, you know, this quality of humility and, and being humble, it's so important as Muslims. Like, I think that everyone has to be able to embody this sense of being humble, not arrogant. I think that if you're arrogant, you can't even necessarily say that you believe, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're arrogant, you're thinking of yourself as greater than the creation and greater than the creator. Astaghfirullah. But a lot of people think like this. Yeah. You know, what's the point of a God? Why is there a God? I don't think there's a God. That's all arrogance, even if you can't recognize that. That is all, uh, that all stems from a place of arrogance. And yeah. so I think that a believer, in essence, has to be humble. You have to humble yourself. In order to worship properly. Right. You can't have a seed of, of arrogance within your heart. And I think that, unfortunately, just like with the day and age that we live in with social media and stuff, it's really hard. It's not only arrogance. I also think it's like ignorance, you know, and not Absolutely. wanting to learn more, not yeah. wanting to to change or be a better person 
Um, and so, and just in this day and age, I mean, this is pretty um, self-explanatory, but we really, really have to strive to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of thinking that we may know more or that, you know, we're, we're better than because we're not, you know? Right. Regardless of your religiosity. And this applies whether you, you deem yourself religious or you feel like you're on the lesser end of the spectrum. And, all, and always, you know, you can't let your religiosity be your root of arrogance. You're like, oh, I'm more religious than you. I'm going to be, I'm better than you because, right. you know, I do extra. I right, do I, know more, I know more. I know more. Or like, whatever. That, right. falls, that makes you fall into this category of people who don't walk the earth humbly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, I think I also want to address the, the last half of this um of this of, of this verse and it says and I think that's so beautiful because it talks about when people are are arrogant and they are ignorant and they have this air about them or, you know they're just being rude and mean and there's no reason the believer will respond with peace yeah. And I feel like that's that's so beautiful when you think about it. How many people actually restrain themselves from responding negatively when they're being treated negatively, mm-hmm. right? We all, I feel like, our first instinct is to be like, I want to crush this person. Like, I want to verbally abuse this person right back. Yeah. To be able to hold your anger and to be able to hold yourself back. And the Prophet Muhammad he tells us that a lot, most people are going to end up in hellfire because yeah. of their tongues. You know and what I mean? Really, like, that yeah. is so deep. And so... In the prophetic example, the Prophet Muhammad many, many times, he was um, ridiculed and he had all of these names being thrown at him and he went through a lot of verbal abuse and he never once raised his voice at someone, never once yelled at them, never once gave them the same treatment they were giving him. So I think that's something that we have to really keep in mind is this idea of, of, I am Muslim, so I don't do this, right? (laughs) There was the a couple. Thing. No, there was a couple of things, but seriously, it's like you know, you you say like I'm I'm a Muslim, so I don't engage in in this yeah. kind of behavior. I think Imam was talking about this the mm-hmm. other day, and he was like, "There is nothing wrong," and, and instead, it's very admirable to be able to to look someone who's who's being rude to you and be able to say, "You know what? Because I'm Muslim, I'm not. I don't do this." Then, you know, and to respond with just kindness. And that's the big thing is when you respond with kindness, my mom always says, you know, since we were kids, like be the be- bigger person, be the better person. And sometimes that means that silence is the correct answer or just smiling yeah. in the face of a stranger or like in the face of even someone that's being rude. Like Samaya one time talk- talked about her cousin and how someone was being rude and she just went, I hope you have a good day. Right. You know, those are all characteristics of a believer. And when you're able to uphold those things um, and you're able to uphold that, that, that sense of professionalism and that you have that standard to yourself. It's like, I'm not going to stoop to the same level as these people. I said, I'm going to be better, you know? And that, that takes a lot of maturity. And I think that's something that we could all work on to an extent, you know? Absolutely. But if you're able to do that, like, honestly, that's something that you should, you should continue to try to uphold and, and implement because that, that's, really, that's a really big deal, you know? Yeah. To be able to be kind in the face of a stranger Absolutely. and to be able to be the better person, not to raise your voice back at them not to be equally as rude, just be the better person. And sometimes silence is the key. Like we talked about that one hadith where it goes along the lines of how like, you know, um, I believe it was Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and how um, there was someone being extremely rude to him and he was quiet. Mm. And then as soon as he responded, the prophet got up and left the the, um, room. And the reason why he left was because there was an angel defending Abu Bakr until, um, 
I believe it was Abu Bakr, was it? Yes. Yeah. Until he responded. As soon as he responded, that angel left, so the prophet left with him, Mm. you know, or with the angel. So I think that's something you have to realize is that you're always going to be rewarded or you're, you're going to always be rewarded for being the better person and doing the better thing. Yeah, and I think that something that Asir was actually saying yesterday, this idea that this kind of a character, it only comes from a basis in, in religion. Yeah. You know, like these kinds of mannerisms and, and this character, to be this strong character-wise, it really only comes from a place of devotion to God. Otherwise, if you don't care, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if you don't care, it doesn't doesn't matter if there's no point there's no point yeah you know so moving on to the next ayah yeah do you want me to read it go ahead okay so ayah 64 they again referring to the ibad al-rahman they are those who spend a good portion of the night prostrating themselves and standing before their lord um this one i don't want to spend too much time on it because we have a lot of ayahs to get through i have a point um yeah of course but i i think that it's so important to recognize that um Worship in the night is one of the best forms of worship yes. you can do. And I think that a lot of us, we tend not to do this. I mean, I, I don't always do this at all. Um, but I think that I, I I was reading one of Yasmin Mugahed's books, and I honestly, I think it was Healing the Emptiness. I don't, I don't think it was in Reclaim Your Heart, but it could have been. I don't remember. Um, and she painted a whole new picture for me about about this Tehejud, essentially, waking up in the middle of the night and praying um, when no one else is awake, she made it seem like it was just such a special thing. Like when everyone else is sleeping, you get up and, and Allah descends, right? And in, in the last one third of the night, Allah descends and the angels descend and they're waiting. Like Allah is sitting there. He's waiting for someone to wake up so he can answer their prayers. Yeah. And I think when I started to think about it like that, it just felt like such a way more special occasion, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Another point to add to that when it comes to praying at night, I have two points. The first one being, think about it as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose you. Mm. He chose you to wake up in the middle of the night. He chose you to be the one that, you know, it's like I, I was listening, I think to Mufti Mank and he was talking about this and, um, he said something along the lines of how, um, how did exactly did he word it? It was, it was really powerful. He was like, think of, think of waking up for Tahajjud as a VIP ticket. Only mm. few get that opportunity in that special yeah. program. So if you wake up and it happens to be that third of, of the night, the last third of the night, right. think of it as an invite. Yeah. And as soon as he said it like that, and I'm the type that I, whenever I wake up in the night, I try to because I'm awake, right. might as well do something, yeah. as I like to say. Or, um, um, But as soon as I started thinking of it like that, I started seeing that pain of not being able to sleep sometimes as more of, you know what? I'm awake, and that that's an invite. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to accept my dua. He wants to hear me. He wants to talk to me. He's asking right. me to come, you know? Yeah. That's why he woke me up while others are still asleep. So let me, yeah. let me take advantage of that, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's I one point. That. And another point is in Surah Al-Anbiya, and I don't remember which ayah specifically, but it goes, and those nearest him are not too proud to worship him, nor do they tire. They glorify him day and night, never wavering. And I think that, that that's really beautiful. And it kind of ties into the first ayah about not being too proud to worship him, you know, yes. not allowing that arrogance to get to you to where you don't humble yourself in front of your Lord. You know, those are the ones that are closest to him. And they will they um worship him day and night and they don't tire when you when you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though you might be physically tired there's something in you that feels more awake that feels more alive absolutely you know? and i think when you come to realize that regardless of the physical exhaustion it's so incredibly rewarding 
you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that we always have to keep in mind. I love that. And just to add one one last thing too, you know, in Islam, we have this concept of deeds in private. So obviously you can't hide every single deed that you do. Like if you're praying and someone sees you pray during the day, like there's no problem with that. But there is a very special sort of... Um, of space for people who do things when no one else is watching them because that shows the sincerity mm-hmm. you know if you're giving charity and no one knows about it that means that you're doing it for god and that's it there's no room for anything else to enter into your heart there's no room for even the smallest kernel of trying to show off or anything right mm-hmm. trying to seem a certain way when you're by yourself you know, either in the middle of the night and you're praying and no one else knows about it, or if you're giving charity and no one else knows about it, or or whatever it may be, those kinds of secretive deeds, those things that you keep private, that's very special. I think yeah. that's why this is also, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to pray is also regarded as so, um, just something that only really special people can do is because it's, a private, sincere connection. And there's no other intentions besides I want to please Allah. And I think that that's a beautiful place to start when it comes to sincerity of intentions, which I talk about, which we both talk about literally all the time, is if you don't know how to make your intention sincere, start by making yourself pray to headshed, waking up in the middle, because no one else is seeing you pray. Or you know, just doing those private deeds in general. Or doing those private deeds in, in yeah. general. And you'll realize that those private deeds, they the way that they feel, feels so much more rewarding sometimes. You know? Absolutely. So, and you feel more accomplished. And Absolutely. you want to keep it a special act, between, a secret between you and Allah. Because really, secrets hold power. Mm. You know, So people might think that they have power over you. But when you know something that they don't, it makes about yourself. Yeah, it yeah. makes you feel... Almost like, you know, I know what I'm doing and you don't necessarily know everything. But if everyone knows everything about you yeah. and about what you do, right? you know, it, it doesn't make it as rewarding. It takes away from that a yeah. little bit. It takes away from that a little bit for sure. So moving on to next and I'm actually going to combine 65 and 66 yes. because they kind of complete one another. But it's pretty self-explanatory. But it goes, or 60. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> they are those who pray, Our Lord, keep the punishment of hell away from us, for its punishment is indeed unrelenting. It is certainly an evil place to settle and reside. And I think part of being a believer is yes, we have to have that balance. We were talking about balance in our last episode, but we have to have that balance between the hope for Jannah and the fear of hellfire. Yes. You know? And so this is this is an example of us showing that we have a fear of hellfire when you are a true but believer you recognize allah's punishment and you recognize that regardless of what you do whether you're praying in the middle of the night whether you're walking the earth humbly and you respond to people in peace you you you're still scared of the hellfire because you don't have that arrogance in your heart because you could very much still end up there if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to you know because you never know if what you did is enough you know so you keep yeah. trying you keep working and just recognizing um, the truth of hellfire and not choosing to ignore it is part of being a believer, you know, and asking yes. and asking to be saved and have refuge from that. And I find it so interesting how we seek, and I don't know if I've said this in an episode or not, or if I was just talking, but um, you seek refuge in the one who, who gives those punishments. And I think that's such a beautiful concept in Islam mm. is he's the one that administers the punishment, but he's also the one that administers the refuge. And so there's no one else to turn to you know, yeah. you're, you're trying to, to be saved from his wrath. So you go to him. And I think oh that's such a beautiful concept. I don't know if I've ever said that. Before, I love but, that. Yeah. 
So oh that's, my gosh. that's my point. I really love that. I think that, yeah, that is such a crazy thing. It's like almost so obvious, but I've never thought about it in that way. It's like yeah. if you don't want to end up in the hellfire that is Allah's punishment, you have to worship Allah. You have to go to yeah. Allah regardless. Um, I think that a lot of people actually tend to ask Allah to protect them from the hellfire more than they ask for entry into Jannah. And I think it's because, like Asid was saying, you do have to have a very healthy balance. You cannot be someone who's like, oh, I worship, so I'm going to heaven. Because that's arrogance. Now, Allah many, many times in the Quran, so many times, provides us with beautiful descriptions of Jannah. And he tells us his promise is true. And he tells us what we have to do to get to that heaven. He gives us everything that we need to get to that heaven. And he describes that heaven to us. And he tells us he doesn't want anybody in the hellfire. But the reality is that judgment will be administered and that there will be people who end up in both places. And as believers, we have to yearn for the heaven, but we also have to work so hard to stay away from the hellfire. And we've said this before, but the path to the hellfire is so easy. It's filled with so much arrogance, desire, ignorance, the easy path, ignoring everything, ignoring God and his creations. That's the easy path. And the path to heaven, it's surrounded by much more difficulty, but it's also that much more rewarding. Yeah. So I think I think that's about it that's for, for those. I really like that a lot. Okay. Okay. Ayah number 67. They are those who spend neither wastefully nor stingily, but moderately in between. This also plays very, very well into our last episode, kind of speaking about this balance. Allah tells us to be a middle people. Mm -hmm. And I think I literally gave this example yesterday where I was saying, you know, um, don't, you know, don't be someone who buys the cheapest thing uh, or don't be the person who buys the most expensive thing. Live comfortably, but you don't have to be super frugal. You don't have to be someone who is uh, super um, wasteful and extravagant because that's also a quality that Allah does not like. Um, so I think just being, this just proves that we're supposed to be a moderate people. So when you, when you have money, spend it, but you don't have to spend a tiny bit and you don't have to spend everything that you have wastefully. Right. I think being, um, bring smart about, about your finances, um, and not even just finances too, because I think that this can tie into everything when you spend, right. So Allah saying those who spend neither wastefully nor stingily. You can spend a lot of things. You can spend Mm -hmm. energy, you can spend time. And even if you're doing it for a good cause, just like we were talking about in our last episode, you should not overdo yourself. Because if you overdo yourself, if you pour from a cup that is empty, you can't sustain anything. You know, you're not able to continue long term. You end up just destroying yourself and your mental health in the process. So I think that, yeah, this applies to money, but it can also apply to like, for example, volunteering. That's spending your time and you're doing it for a great cause. But if you spend every waking hour volunteering, you're going to get tired very quickly. You're not going to be able to sustain that. Right. So a moderate middle path. Yeah. I mean, Allah SWT describes us as a middle nation. And I think that that's something that I'm not even going to continue to go into because Samaya like hit all the points. And we talked about it in our last episode. But being a middle people doesn't only uh, does not only um, apply to our everyday things that we do whether it's spending or this and that also applies to our worship like somebody was saying you can't just volunteer all the time and not get a break you know with school you can't work constantly and not take breaks so I just think that this is just you know alluding to the fact that we as Muslims we should not be neither too lazy nor too extreme in, ev- in everything that we do yeah so it's, it's a very straightforward area 
Um, going to the next one, and this one, this one is very, very powerful. They are those who do not invoke any other god besides Allah, nor take a human life made sacred by Allah, except legal right, nor commit fornication. And whoever does any of this will face the penalty. You know, and so the first part of this ayah talking about they are not they are those who do not invoke any other god besides Allah is alluding to this concept of the oneness of Allah. Yes. And it's something that we 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 reaffirm every single time that we pray. You know, La ilaha illallah. There's no deity or God or anything of this sort, no ilah worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and so that's something that we all constantly have to remind ourselves. And in terms of worship, I'm not just talking about religious worship. I'm not just talking about the rituals. I'm talking about what is in the center of your heart. What do you spend your entire life? You know, your heart has compartments, right? If your central compartment is filled with anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your love for him and your worship of him, Everything else, it, it doesn't fit. It's not meant to be like that. Right. You know, it's like um, Yasmin Mugahid in one of her books, I don't think it was a book, actually. I think it was a lecture. She was describing um, the concept of like a like a mother loving her son way too much and then it causing problems when, when that son goes and gets married. You oh, know? right. Because the, the, the compartment where her son is in her heart is in the wrong place. Right. You know? Same thing goes for us. What do you center your life around? What do you what consumes the most space in your mind and in your heart? And if it's other than Allah, then you're doing something wrong. Right. You know? So and the concept of the oneness of Allah is is throughout the entire Quran. Um and it's it's huge. It's such an important concept. It's the center, it's the center yes. of the faith. You know, you know. so it's just something that we really that I wanted to just emphasize on that first part. So. And I think that Anything, you know, when Asita is talking about what's in the center, this for a lot of people is money. A lot of people worship their money. They worship their status. Um, So it's like she said, it's not a religious thing for a lot of people. It's it's just that what consumes your whole life. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So you can't obviously have any sort of um, anyone else that you're worshiping or anything else that you're worshiping or not worshiping at all. That is obviously not a quality of someone who's considered Ibad al-Rahman. Allah says, nor take a human life made sacred by Allah except with legal right. Now, of course, murder is totally wrong in Islam, as this ayah says. Um, And when we talk about this legal right, I don't know every implication of what this is talking about. Mm -hmm. But for example, if you are defending yourself or if you are in battle, I mean, in that case, it's not considered murder. Nobody would consider that murder. But if you're just killing for absolutely no reason, um, that is not okay. And I would like to say too, and this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but you know, in America, in the modern day, unfortunately, we have a lot of uh, hate crimes, a lot of school shootings, um, all that stuff. And oftentimes when it is a white person committing these crimes, we blame it on mental health. Now, I am not in the opinion, I'm not even trying to go into anything racist or, you know, people calling Mm -hmm. Muslims terrorists or anything like that. But I don't believe that having a mental health issue at all excuses you going to kill anyone whatsoever. Yeah. I don't think that that is an implication that you can say we can look, we can overlook that mm-hmm. because there are many people who struggle with mental health issues and they never once have the desire to go kill someone. So there is definitely something deeper. I don't want to go into that too much, but Islam values the human life made sacred by Allah. Why is the human life sacred? Because we're here for a reason. 
We're here for a purpose. You know, if Allah had no purpose for us, we simply would not have been here. There's no point. If there was no point in us, then we wouldn't have been here. We would not have known this life, you know? So it's important to value the human life on on a human level. We should respect each other, right? We have to be kind to each other. Because honestly, if you strip back the layers of skin, we're all the same inside. You know, we are mm-hmm. all the same inside. Um, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I think that that statement of of being of the human life being sacred to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you realize the value of human life, right, it makes you wa- want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you realize what he has given you is such a gift. Right. You know, of just life in general, right? Right. And it makes you humble. Because you realize, every, like Samaya was saying, when you strip back those layers, we're all the same at the end of the day. We're all going to die at the end of the day. And we're right. all going to be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to face judgment. You know, So when, when you come to the conclusion that all of human life is sacred, it really changes your perspective on, on your mentality of the world. It makes you realize, I'm not everything. And all of human life is sacred. It's not just me. Just because I'm from here and these people are from here doesn't make anyone, you know... Arab is not better than the non-Arab and all of these things, you know, it's, it's not the way life is. And so I think that a lot of us have to sometimes remind ourselves of that. Yeah. Um, the yeah. next part of the verse, nor commit fornication. Um, so these, fornication. yes, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> all of these things that are mentioned, by the way, so shirk and then, you know, the murder and the zina, these are all kabair. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are major sins in Islam. Fornication or zina, this is um, essentially any sort of premarital or extramarital um sex (laughs) yeah so um so so yeah so of course in islam we have these values that um sex is is i don't want to say sex is sacred but in a way i think it definitely does have a somewhat sacred root i think the way Mm -hmm. that people view it nowadays and what they call hookup culture and like all of that kind of stuff it loses its value whereas Allah actually created this as as essentially a very intimate thing that should only occur between a husband and And a a wife wife. um and it's something that should be valued by the both of them and I want to also mention that zina is not just the act of the intercourse I think this is where a lot of people tend to try to justify their sins we are told in the quran do not even come near zina. Yeah. What opens like the so. doors to zina? Well, first it's that glance, mm-hmm. right? And then you start talking, and then you start talking some more, and then you become comfortable, and you become open, and then um, one touch leads to another, and now you're dating, and then blah blah blah, and it's just it's a whole cascade of events. Yes. So not even coming near it. It's not even like oh they just don't have sex until they're married. It's it's not even coming near anything else. Yeah. That has to do with anything before that. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to kind of clear that up. I feel like it's self-explanatory. For the most um, part. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add on that because you used okay. the ayah I was planning on using, but yeah. Okay, and who? And I'm going to just go ahead and just yes. read the next ayah and then you can... And whoever does any of this will face the penalty. And then it talks about the penalty. And first of all, something I find so beautiful about the Quran, and this just occurred to me, is that... It's it's so beautiful how in the ayah in the verse before he'll he'll talk about what like he'll describe the punishment and then he'll okay and what is it exactly right he's talking about the believer what is the believer exactly mm. you know you can yeah. see a lot of examples of this in what surah uh, surah for example that's just the first one that comes to my mind mm. you know it talks about all of these things you know even in surah fatiha what is the straight path the straight path is x y and z right you know and so that just comes to show the beauty of of 
Islam, not Islam, of the Quran and its science behind yeah, it. Just you know? And the clarity. And just all know. of the above. It's so easy to follow along, whether or not you know the Arabic language, right. whether or not you, what, whatever, you know, intellectual level you may be at, you know, or educational level is the better word. It's easy to follow along. It's easy to, to understand. And then ayahs that are unclear are explained with the more clear ayahs, you know? Yes. So that's something you have to realize is that there's a concept whenever you're studying the Qur'an of using the Qur'an as an explanation for the Qur'an. Yeah, you know? for different verses. So they, they come they, together. They, 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 it becomes know? one big, beautiful, like, right. puzzle. Right, So anyway, um... Then it talks about the penalty. Their punishment will be multiplied on the day of judgment, and they will remain in it forever in disgrace. <laughs> and Samaya and I, the reason why we're both so, like, exasperated about that, I think, is because we just recently, we need to, like, link that lecture. Is that, that's what we need to do. But there was, there was a lecture debate between an atheist and a Muslim and an atheist professor who believes in science and common sense, essentially. Right. And one of the points that he tried to make was that and i disagree entirely was that it's not fair for those that didn't accept Islam to be punished forever and ever and ever infinitely he doesn't like to use that word but you know (laughs) (laughs) infinitely and it infuriated me so incredibly much because your entire life is a chance to accept you know you don't have the excuse of saying i was never exposed to islam the entire world has been exposed to the truth Right. You know, you have seen it, whether it's an interaction for five minutes, whether it's having your closest friend be Muslim or f- people at school, you don't have the excuse. And Samaya made a really good point in our last episode of something along the lines of how it's not, I don't know actually if you said it in the episode before, but it's not fair that a person who goes their entire life not worshiping and not doing these things to not be punished, to have the same same ending, essentially, as someone who dedicated their entire lives to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. You know? Right. And that's really impactful, and that's, that's a really good point, is that when you, when you your, your penalty and your punishment, essentially, when you don't devote yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is an eternity, is an eternity of, of this punishment, and we want to protect ourselves from that, so... Absolutely. I think that, um, and you know, there are many ayahs in the Quran that essentially Allah says, you know, he's He's speaking to the disbelievers on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells them, you know, basically what I just said, like, do you really think that you're now going to end up in the same place as someone who spent their whole life or a very large portion of their life worshiping me? Why does that even make sense? Why would we end up in the same place? Now, eternity, that word forever, it's something that is very difficult for us to comprehend Mm -hmm. because we in our human, um, our limited human understanding, we can't comprehend this concept of forever. Yeah. And we really can't. It's a very scary concept. I mean, I feel like thinking about forever and ever and ever we just we don't understand it so it scares us right and we're not meant to understand it right now but i think that um the thing is you know you can either look at this in one of two ways now a lot of people who don't believe in god and all this stuff they like to make the argument why would there be a god who punishes humanity and i did make this point i don't know if this was in the episode or not well we believe in the justice system don't we Mm-hmm. So on a very minor scale, if someone cheats on an exam, the teacher has every right to give that person a zero because he deserved it. If yeah. you cheated, you deserved the zero. And that's because of the rules. Okay. There's a rule that every teacher will tell you, do not cheat on my test. If you do, this is the consequence. Yeah. 
And it's very explicit and it's very clear. Yet some people, they still choose to cheat on their exams. And then they're kind of surprised when they get dealt the consequence, right? Yeah. Why are you surprised? And why is no one else thinking that that was, that that was a negative consequence? Yeah. I don't feel bad for people that get caught cheating. Why did you do it in the first place? Exactly. You deserve that consequence. Now, yeah. if someone goes and murders, I definitely think they need to be in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, there's consequences for that stuff too. In our government, we have what is a misdemeanor, what is a felony, what ca- what what makes up those things, what are the categories, okay? And um, in that same way, no one says, oh, a murderer really shouldn't be in jail. I mean, there actually are some people that do that, but if we're going off of common sense, which seems to be something that people love to talk about, if we're going off of common sense. If someone's a murderer, like a serial killer, why do we not want them locked up? There are actions, I mean, there are consequences to your actions. And in the same way, if Allah is giving you your whole entire life, your whole entire life, with such clear instructions, Allah tells us exactly what you have to do to get to heaven. Yes. And he tells you all the resources that you have. And then he tells you exactly what you do when you sin, when you make a mistake, there's still a chance to come back. Yeah. He tells you exactly what you have to do. And then he tells you what you have to be like in order to end up in the hellfire. No one wants to think about this idea of being punished forever. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. I don't want that for anybody. I really don't. But... If you failed the test of life after so many chances, after being exposed to the beauty so many times, why don't you deserve punishment? In the same way that a murderer deserves to sit in jail, that a student deserves that zero on an exam, why is it that after you lived a life of arrogance and ignorance and complete blindness, that you can just be in paradise with people who struggled in the cause of Allah? Why do you think you're equal? Now, you would be very equal if you decided to open your heart, unlock your heart, like we mentioned in the last episode, Mm -hmm. and accept Islam and strive for that. Then we're all on the same level and we all have the equal opportunity to get to heaven. Yeah. Right? But when when you die, that's, that's, that's it. That's too late. And so I think that that's something that I spent way too much time talking about this, but... (laughs) But seriously, it's this idea that God is merciful. Look at his names. Look at his... <laughs> Sorry, my Siri. <laughs> oh my God. But, but God is merciful and he is kind and he is compassionate. And he is the most just and the most fair. Yes. And the most wise and the most knowledgeable. And he tells us so many times that on this day, no one will be wronged. No one will be wronged. And you know what? You can't be wronged. Because Allah's gonna bring you your book and He's gonna He's gonna have you, He's gonna play out everything in front of you. Yeah. Did you or did you not do this? And you can't say anything because you did. Yeah. You can't argue with someone who already knows. <laughs> you know? Really and so I think that it's just shift your perspective. God doesn't want to punish anyone. Yeah. And he gives you so many chances, you're the one that chooses to deny it. So I think the punishment then is only fair, just like the reward is only fair. You know, if I'm struggling my whole life to to be devoted to Allah, I want the reward. Yeah. And I think I deserve it. Not necessarily like, oh, I did so much that I deserve it. But if Allah promised me something and I'm working towards it, I'm trying to have as much faith as possible in his mercy, 
his mercy is what's going to open that door for me. Yes. You know? And you have to realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's justice is unlike the justice that we receive in this world. Like Samaya is, is referring to the justice system, and a lot of times there are faults in it. Yes. There yes. are There Absolutely. are times where you're trialed, tried unfairly and all of these things, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's trial on the day of judgment is the most fair because like Samaya said, you made a really good point. What's the point in lying or trying to make up something to the pers- to the being, I'm sorry, that knows everything? You know, and this concept, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take another shift to this, and it's beautiful also to see how there's even balance when it comes to describing the punishment, and then it talks about, you know, gives you a sense of hope in the Qur'an. You know, every, almost every single time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to punishment, He reminds you of the hope. You know, he reminds you of, but the good, like, don't don't lose hope for those that are actually doing good, you know? Yes. And it says multiple times, we will certainly make those disbelieved taste of severe punishment, and we will certainly reward them for the evil deeds that they used to do. But then in another surah, in Surah Al-Kabut, it goes, we shall reward, and we shall reward them according to the best of their deeds. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that ties really well into what Sumaya was saying. It's like, I know I worked hard for it, and I know I did this much, and so therefore I quote-unquote deserve this. Right, And right. Allah Tata sees it the same way. Yes. You know, he's going to judge you according to what you were able to do. Yes. You know, according to what the resources that he gave to you. Were you able to do 100% with the resources that he gave you? You know, so like, I or the, the abilities that he gave you. And as long as that he tried, he's going to see that. And he's going to judge you towards the best of your deeds. And then Surah An-Nur, it goes, and that Allah may give them the best reward of what they have done and give them more out of his grace. And I find that really beautiful because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't describe, I'm going to punish you and punish you more. Right. It doesn't say that. He's just going to give you a punishment because like somebody said, he doesn't want to punish you, but you chose to ignore. You chose to be arrogant because at that point, it's a choice. Yes. You know? So he's just going to punish you for what you did. Khalas. Right. Right? But when he rewards, he's going to reward you for what you've done and he's going to give more out of his mercy. And I yes. think that's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. And even just very quickly, when we do a good deed versus a bad deed, there's an ayah in Surah Al-An'am that Allah says, if someone does one good deed, we reward them as if they did 10. Yeah. But if they did one bad deed, it's just one bad deed. And even Allah says in Surah Tud that the hasanat, they take away the, the bad deeds, essentially. Yeah. So if you've done something bad, but then you do something good, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like a one-to-one ratio. I don't know how exactly that works, but... Your good deeds, they take away from your bad deeds. Your bad deeds never take away from your good deeds. Yeah. And so I think that when we look at it in a positive light, yeah, you have to have this balance of hope and fear, but there's so much hope. And moving on to the next um, ayahs. enough time. <laughs> no, I hope so. But moving on to the next ayahs. So Asita was just mentioning, every time Allah mentions the punishment, he mentions the reward. Mm-hmm. So the ayahs that we just went over, Allah's talking about, about the fire. And then he says, illa, except for those who repent believe and do good deeds they are the ones whose evil deeds allah will change into good deeds for allah is all forgiving most merciful and whoever repents and does good has truly turned to allah properly so this is beautiful this is right beautifully just exactly what we just described allah says except for the people right so he's not saying that all of humanity is doomed to hell that's absolutely not the case you know why is islam the fastest growing religion in the world yeah. You know, why is it that almost 2 billion of us believe in this beautiful message? Yeah. You know? So I think that just making that distinction, Allah's saying, well, there's no, there's no point in losing hope because, yeah, people are going, to be, are going to be punished in the hellfire except for, and he gives you those qualities. How yeah. can you be part of that except? 
right? How can you be part of that exception? Mm -hmm. And what's so beautiful is in the next ayah, he emphasizes on those qualities. And whoever repents and does good, and whoever repents and does good has truly turned to Allah properly. He makes an emphasis on that. Like if you do these things, you're doing it right. And if you struggle, it's okay because when you struggle, you're doing it right. Yeah. yeah. But you have to struggle. You have to work hard. You have to sometimes go against what your desires go against. Go against the you know the grain, mm-hmm. and work for it. Yeah. And it. You're, that means you're doing it right. You're doing it properly. But don't give up on repentance. A lot of people might say, oh, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. Allah SWT is never going to forgive me. He is going to forgive you if you sincerely repent and you work to do those good deeds to con- and continue to be a better person. Yeah, you know? and I love how this ayah even mentions repentance. Yeah. Because if you guys, you know, all these people who don't believe in God and want to talk about everything else... You're, you're thinking, oh, why would, you know, a merciful God do, do X, Y, and Z? Well, honestly, if God wasn't merciful, there would be no concept of repentance. There yeah. would be an expectation that you have to be perfect all of the time, that when you sin, there's no hope for you. Yeah. That is what an unmerciful Lord would do, right? And that's a Lord that nobody wants to believe in because humanity was not created with the expectation of perfection. And that's why Allah gives us the tools to come back to him. He says... And whoever repents and does good has truly turned to Allah properly. It's not that you sin and you have no hope. There is a whole other world after repentance. You know what I mean? Like you have a chance. You always have a chance as long as you're living and breathing, you know? So the fact that Allah even mentions the repentance here, I think is beautiful because he's not saying only those who believe and do good. No, no. It's those who repent and do good because he knows and he acknowledges that we will make mistakes. You know, we will make mistakes, but the mistake is not the problem. It's what you do after. Yeah. You know, it's not that you sinned. Okay, you sinned. Now what? Are you going to continue down that path or are you going to recognize, you know what? I'm going against my my fitrah here, my nature. Let me come back. And I just want to emphasize on the point as well that Jannah is 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 not filled with perfect people. Jannah is is going to be filled with sinners who repented, Mm -hmm. you know? There's not, there's not a single person in heaven that is going to be a perfect person. Think about Prophet Adam. He started off in heaven, came down to earth because he sinned. And mm-hmm. he's a prophet. He's going to be yeah. in heaven. And he sinned, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's also something that's really that's a beautiful important point. to think about. We need to speed up in order to get to the I know. Of okay. So 72 says, um, they are those who do not bear false witness. And when they come across falsehood, they pass it by with dignity. So bearing false witness is one of the kaba'id as well, one mm-hmm. of the major sins. Um, I don't have much else to say about that verse. It's pretty if you have anything. <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. The next one's really powerful. So the next one and. I don't know if we're going to get all the way to 77, but we're going to try. I think we can. They are those who, when reminded of the revelation of their Lord, do not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to it. And, like, you just need to take a second. I I know. (laughs) I'm like, wow. Oh, my gosh. I think it's... I think it's... I'm sorry. I'm talking so much in this episode. I think it's so insane because I... You know, after watching this debate and just interactions that you have with people, you realize that that is truly the way that people are. They really do turn a blind eye and they are deaf to the message and they don't even care to know the truth and they just want to argue with you and they just want to be like, well, prove to me this and this and this. And I think that it's so crazy because 
one of the qualities of the believers is having your heart soft. What does it mean to have your heart soft? You know, your heart really has to be in tune with the faith. When you hear the words of Allah, you react with it in your heart. Emotion. Yes. You know? So I think it's... I think it's just so crazy. You know, and it says in the Quran, and remind, for indeed the reminder is benefit to the believer. You know, and I think that's something so beautiful is not only, you have to realize you're not only, you're not only receiving the reminder and you're soaking it in, you're reminding others as well. That's what it means to be a good companion. That's what it means to be a righteous person that they enjoining good. Yes. You know, and that they remind each other and that they value you. So for example, a person values you and is willing to remind you, even if it's jeopardizing your friendship, mm. even if it's maybe alienating something. Right. It's like, okay, I'm here to rem- as a brother and sister in Islam because I value your life and I value your akhirah. Yes. I'm here to remind you that this, what you're doing, might not be the best, or maybe you should try this instead. Absolutely. And you have to, you have to completely soak in that reminder and realize it's not meant out to get you. Yeah. That it's not meant to be a a hateful thing towards you. It's meant to help you so you right. can succeed in this life and then in the next. And when you have yeah. people that remind you like that and are willing to put you above your your friendship or your connection, your worldly desires, your worldly desires, whatever yeah. it may be, what even if it benefits them or not, reminding you and you have people to remind you, don't don't take that lightly. Actually, you know, you know, hold it. Consider because, yourself very yeah, special. Very if you lucky. Want that, for sure. So, I think that this too is very interesting because, you know, even when it comes to something that's not religious at all, you know, sometimes, you know, people will give constructive criticism and someone is just so offended that they received that. Yeah. How can you tell me that I did it wrong? How can you tell me this? It's arrogance. Yes. It's arrogance. So, in the in that same way, when someone reminds you if they're coming from a very good place and they have a good approach, the reminder should be benefited, right? So, or should be beneficial. So when we remember, or when someone is reminded of the revelation of Allah and the words of Allah and, and, and just the path of Allah, they don't ignore it. They take that into consideration. How can I better myself from it? Yes. How can I make my heart soft? How can I keep my heart soft? And how, how am I going to react, you know, when I, when I hear the revelation? My mom, sorry, my mom, you know, I asked her a question one time and I said, because in the Quran, sometimes it'll talk about um, hearts being locked up and and, and blind to Mm -hmm. the truth. But a lot, a lot of the time uses the word like, and I'm like, okay, well, if it's talking about hearts, why is it hearing? Why is it that Allah says, do they not hear? Um, And, and oftentimes it's because the way to your heart is through your hearing. You hear something first and that's when it goes into your heart a lot of the time. Um, So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. So, no, I think that's really beautiful. And something about having a soft heart means that your heart is awake. And I've used this quote before, but what does it mean to have a awake heart? It means when you react to the words of Allah, when you feel them deep within. It means that, you know, you feel a deep connection with it, whether you're just standing there in tarawih or you're praying late at night, you're doing those private good deeds, you know, you have a a, a soft heart and you want to continue to do more. That's when your heart is awake. And so, you want to go ahead and read the next ayah? Yes. Okay. This is actually the last description of a characteristic. Yes. Um, so, Allah says, uh, they are those, and this is one of the most beautiful du'as in the Qur'an, they are those who pray, our Lord, bless us with pious spouses and offspring who will be the joy of our hearts and make us models for the righteous. Yes. And I absolutely love this verse. Um, we have a whole episode about righteous families. Um, but this is what you want out of your life. And I don't, I'm not saying that I know what everyone wants from their life, but 
I think that when you're a true believer and, you know, in order to be considered part of this Ibadul Rahman, which we all just hope and strive to be um, a part of, it's like you really do have to pray that you're given a spouse who helps you along in that journey, that helps you improve, that you can help improve, that you can yes. practice with, and that will help you raise children who also fall in love with the deen and who um, are going to continue that throughout the years. That is, to me, the ultimate success in this life. You know, if I'm able to raise children who are truly dedicated to their faith, I feel like I would have you know, left the biggest impact behind. Um, So, yeah, and then that last part about making us models for the righteous, I think that everything that we do as believers should be rooted in our purpose of worshiping Allah. And we should seek to influence people. And I've been thinking about this a lot, but, you know, we're all going to die. And when you die people after after time you know after a while they're not going to remember the superficial things about you you know i imagine that you start to sort of forget what a person may have looked like in detail or you know you may forget the sound of their voice or the sound of their laugh and i know that we have like videos and pictures and stuff like that but i feel like after a while those things become a little bit hazy yeah but what you don't forget is the way that someone touched you Mm-hmm. The way that someone helped you, the way that someone the, the way that someone impacted you, you never forget those things. So I think that that is where our belief needs to be rooted. As as Muslims, it's okay. How do I benefit myself, but also how do I benefit others through me? How what are they going to yeah. say when I die? And I okay. Wow, he said a lot. And I actually, <laughs> this this uh, yeah. You know, it says in Surah Al-Nur, good men, uh, uh, the good women are for the good, the believing men are for the believing women. You know, and all of right. these things. And so, I just think you have to realize that if you want to have a righteous family, when you, whenever that is, inshallah, you know, you have to be able to turn uh, turn to Allah and you know make du'a that that you you are so in love with Allah and whoever you're meant to be is so in love with Allah that you have to go to Allah to find each other. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing. And another thing is you want your children and your your righteous family in general to be the coolness of your eyes. You know, and I think that's something so beautiful and it's described several times throughout the Quran. You know, you want them to be that for you. You want them to be that source of joy and that source of peace and you want them to be able to elevate you in ranks and you want to have a family that is that is there to wherever you look, you can always say Alhamdulillah and you can, it's a constant reminder of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you and you see the beauty, beauty of the creator through that creation of that beautiful and righteous family. Right. And you were talking about, and and we, we have a whole episode about that, so I'm not even going to go into it, but you were talking about this whole, when someone passes, what do they leave behind? And my mom, you, she used to do this all the time for my grandfather after he passed, but it was like, my father's legacy. And so she would have people write things about him or she would write memories and things like that. And it always had to do with his character. Right. Everything. Not about, you know, you know, the way he looked, the way people perceived him or all of these things. It was about the way he impacted not only himself, but the community around him. And when you realize that that lasting impact helps them in the grave, but it also reminds people what to do and how to be a better person. You know, that's that's something so beautiful. Because when someone does pass, is right. You don't remember the laugh. You don't remember the twinkle in the eye or all of these things. But you remember the ayat that they would always recite during salah when they would lead. Mm. You remember the little the little reminders or their little mottos in life or their sayings that, you know, you want to implement in your life so you can be a better person. Yeah. You remember those little habits or those those acts of worship that they would do. Like, for example, my gra- like my grandfather, he would always make wudu after he went to the bathroom. So he always had wudu. Mm. And 
And so because of that, I try to do that because it's it's a reason to always pray. You know, right. it's like if you have, we'll do it. It's an invite to go pray. Go pray. Right. You know. So just realizing, and there are forerunners in every single generation. You want to be a part of those forerunners, those people that are leading, those people that are striving to do good for Allah and is bringing others with them. Because it's good to compete in goodness. It's good yes. to compete in the worship of Allah. Absolutely. You want to motivate one another to continue to do better, you know, in your Absolutely. entire community. And you want to see everyone enter Jannah. You don't want to see anyone enter that the torment of the hellfire. Yeah. You want to help them enter Jannah because it doesn't it doesn't affect you negatively nor does it affect them. It's a win-win-win. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you help each other, you continue to win and you you in turn pull them up and you save them. Right. You know? And, and you, you hope people yeah. continue to pull you up. Right. And so. then you you it's not even that you just get their the beauty of being able to worship with these people in this in this dunya but it's it's about being with them in the hereafter yeah forever you know Allah promises us that we will be with the ones that we love Mm -hmm. if of course you know they were they were righteous and everything (laughs) but he promises that for the believers um and just to finish this off the last two uh verses of you know these descriptions Allah says it is they who will be rewarded with elevated mansions in paradise for their perseverance and will be received with salutations and greetings of peace, staying there forever. What an excellent place to settle and reside. Um, and the word, sorry, just quickly, the word that's used here is al-ghurfa. So the ghuraf are considered to be like the highest sort of places mm-hmm. where you will reside, meant for these very special people. Oh, no, I was <laughs> just going to say, I this uh, these two eyes remind me of the um Amr Suleiman's Jannah series yes, exactly. that he was talking about and something that that is so beautiful is the description of you know being able to be among those people who reside in this highest level and they're able to be the friends of Allah yes they're able to always have the pleasure of just staring at him all the time and gazing at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly right. what a be- better get, better definition of success is there right you know and then it's talking about these elevated mansions and stuff but you don't want to be and I've said this countless times and this is that instilling a little bit of fear you don't want to be that person that does so well and then right before they pass or whatever, they slip up, they mess up to the point where they are not able to come back from, from it. Mm. And then they have an empty mansion in paradise, an right. empty home. And I don't, you know, you don't want to be that person that could have resided in that place, but because of some decisions, you ended up not being able to, to occupy your home that was made for you, that was made out of your good deeds, you know? Right. So that's also a reminder that no matter how much you do in your life, you can always slip up. Yeah. Just like how all of us, just all like how us. you can always fix yourself, you can also always slip up. Right. And so that's just a reminder to always do your best and make dua that you pass on at your best level of iman. When right. you're at your highest level of iman. So that way, you know, inshallah, you are at the best that you could have possibly accomplished that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to be capable of and you don't drop down again, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's just what I have to say about this. Yeah, well, I I think that just as a little closing remark, I mean, these were a lot of characteristics. A lot of them, you know, you might be thinking, oh, I do that and that's wonderful. And I think that we all have places to improve, right? So I would say really use these ayat as um, a guide. You know, what what am I doing that is aligning with what is mentioned here? And what am I not doing so I can so I can start doing it? Yeah. Um, because you want to be classified as the ibadul rahman. You want to be given that very special title. Um, so I think that it's just encouragement to strive and to always do your best and to recognize that you have people there with you about the fellowship yes. the community um and 
just like Asid was saying, you want to bring each other up together. So, yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Inshallah, you'll hear from us next time.